Colossians 3, uh, verses 20 through 21, and then we'll look at Ephesians 6 together. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And all the parents said, Amen. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And all the children in the room said, Amen. You're all kids, by the way. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to this text as kids of earthly parents uh, with all kinds of stories to tell, with all kinds of experiences, some good, some not. I don't know what kind of hurt was brought into the room today um, from kids uh, that was inflicted by parents. And I don't know what kind of situations people are even in right now, uh, but you do, and you're sovereign over all. And as we approach this text today and we think about what it means to be uh, parents that model you, um, I, I pray that you would show us your goodness that you would show us your gentleness and your kindness and your patience and your mercy and your grace and most importantly, your love. And, and I pray that as we see these things in you, that you would change us and that you would make us more like you and that we would give to others what we've received from you. I pray that you'd be glorified by all of this. Spirit, we ask you to do what only you can do, that you would transform and heal and convict and expose and build up that we would leave looking more like Jesus and loving him more as a result of your work today. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. So we're talking about parenting today and I get the fact that 80% of you aren't parents and so this is gonna be one of those that you, you store away for future reference. Um, there are some parents in this room and I wanna honor you because you are in it. Some of you are empty nesters or your grandparents, which you are living the dream right now. You get like the fun stuff with that and you get to sleep at night too. Um, Caroline's parents are here. I want to honor them and, and so thankful for, for uh, Jim and Vicki. They're here for the weekend. They're going to hang out, not even the weekend, for the day. They're going to eat good food. They're going to play. They're going to hang out and then they're just going to leave. <laughs> it's going to be great for them. <laughs> Some of you are in it right now. Um, let me just say, I don't think there is anything more rewarding, more life-giving, more satisfying, and at the same time, more challenging and sanctifying than being a parent. And uh, I, I think that's another way of saying it's literally the hardest thing in the world. And at the same time, it is absolutely the greatest thing in the world, which is a weird tension. I read some quotes from other parents who are right in the middle of it this past week, and I think it sums up the challenge well. I'll share this with you and get you pumped. If you're not there yet, one parent said, uh, 80, 88% of parenting is saying it's bedtime 150 times between eight o'clock and nine o'clock. And I have found this to be a law. <laughs> okay. We had some, so we had a young couple from the church over this past uh, week for dinner. And I think Claire got out, Claire's our two-year-old. I think she got out at least 10 times. I'm not exaggerating one time without her pants. And uh, it was just, we were taking turns putting her down, and she just laughs. I mean, it's a game, and we're trying to discipline. It doesn't work. She, 
She's mischief. She's wonderful. Another mom wrote this. Parenting is a journey, except it's just traveling from room to room, putting away the same toys all day. (laughs) Cleaning your house, another mom said, while your kids are still growing up is like shoveling the sidewalk before it stops snowing. And all the moms said, amen. A dad wrote this. Having children is like living in a frat house. Nobody sleeps. Everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. (laughs) Another dad wrote this. The quickest way for a parent to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. (laughs) This is so true. I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm crying on the inside. Um, It's like they have a sixth sense. They could be in the very back of the property climbing on trees, and you sit down on that couch, and there's something in them that's like... I think dad just sat down. Let's go find him. If you ever, like, and parents can attest to this, if you ever can't find your kids or you're like concerned for their well-being, just go sit on the toilet. They will find you. <laughs> it's really challenging. It's really exhausting. Sometimes it is hilariously chaotic, and yet it is the greatest thing in the world. I have three kids. I absolutely love being their daddy. When I say I love it, I mean... I don't think I really knew what love was until I met them. Like when my firstborn, uh, Nicholas, made his glorious entry into the world. And when I say it's glorious, I mean it's, it was glorious. So I don't know if you know anything about I didn't know anything about kids before my kids. I found this out. When kids come out, they're like tomatoes. Uh, they're, they're ticked off at the world. Um, they're gooey and, and, and stuff, and um, not cute, okay? Um, and, uh, and, and then they get cleaned off, and they're laying on mom, and they're doing the skin-to-skin thing and everything. They're not supposed to be able to hold their heads up, though. They have no muscles in their necks. That has to develop, and it takes time, so you always have to have the hand behind the head. Nicholas did not get that memo. That kid was freakishly strong, so he's laying on mama, skin-to-skin thing, we're all gathered around, and all of a sudden, he's like. (laughs) And he just starts looking around, and we're like, Hercules? I mean, (laughs) did we just give birth to a, like, demigod? Like, who is this kid? How can you do this? And I I literally, I'm, I'm holding him, I take him from mom, he's mad at me for taking him from mom, and he's squinting, and he's a tomato, and and I look at him, I'm like, hi, I'm daddy, nice to meet you. I think I'll die for you. You don't know who I am. We just met, but I'm going to give my life for you. Like, I don't know. I had never known that kind of love before. I love being their daddy. Sing with my girls. Lives up here today. Love my little girls. It's the most exhausting thing in the world. But believe me when I tell you that I would not trade it for anything else in the world. And I want to say that because 70% of you are like, maybe even more than that. I don't know what the percentage is. I'm not a numbers guy. Um, But if you're a millennial or if you're in Gen Z, you're being told right now that parenting is an inconvenience, that kids aren't worth it, and that you should dedicate your entire life to a career and, and you should just do you and retire at 35 and don't even worry about kids. They're just going to slow you down. It's a lie. It's a lie. And I just want you to hear that, from me at least today. 
But it's, it's a weird tension. On the one hand, we want them to grow up so badly. And Caroline and I are always in this tension. And it's like a really hard day. I'm like, I just cannot wait for Claire to be three because then I feel like all of our problems will go away. She'll be able to talk. She'll be able to use the bathroom on the potty. No more diapers. It'll be amazing. And then we're like, don't ever grow up. You know, it's the weirdest tension in the world. I can't wait for her to outgrow diapers and tantrums. And then I just don't want her to grow. And I hold her sometimes just as tight as I can. And she puts her head on my shoulder. I'm like, don't grow, stay small. That's parenting in a nutshell. It's schizophrenia, okay? (laughs) Now, the thing about parenting is that it isn't just about being present for our kids' growth. It's about playing a massive part in our kids' growth as well. It's not just about watching them develop, though you could get a bucket of popcorn and you could just sit there and it'd be entertaining. It's about helping them develop. It's a massive calling. It's a weighty calling. If you have kids, you feel the weight. And so the big question I want to answer today is, what does it look like to answer that calling and carry that weight in a way that keeps Christ at the center? In a way that makes Jesus look as good as he actually is to the watching world. In other words, what does it look like for Christ to be above all in our parenting? Because remember, that's what Colossians is all about. How does the Lordship of Jesus enable us to develop our kids in a way that helps rather than hurts, in a way that builds up rather than tears down? How does Christ ruling in our homes lead our kids to thrive and flourish and sprout up like these great strong trees, flourish both now and for all eternity? That's what I want to talk about today. Now, let me just say that there are, there are three basic styles of parenting. And this, I did not invent this. I'm not smart enough to invent this. There's a guy named George Barna. He's a researcher. He's a sociologist. And he wrote a book called Parenting that basically lays out these three dominant approaches to parenting in the United States. The first one is what he calls parenting by default. Parenting by default is basically the path of least resistance. And if you're a parent... You've been there at one point or another, okay? It basically just tries to adopt all of the trends, all of the fads, all the traditions of culture so that everyone in the home is happy, it's, uh, it's peaceful, and the parents can still enjoy the lifestyle that they enjoyed pre-kids. And so Netflix and YouTube are your best friends. You know what I mean? Like you, you want to do what you want to do, and, and they're there, and so you're like, here, like Netflix, is your parent today, and then you do what you want to do. This is parenting by default. It's, it's just trying to keep people happy so you can do what you really want. The second thing, the second approach is uh, what, what Barna calls trial and error. Again, we've all been there. <laughs> trial and error is based on the idea that every parent is essentially an amateur, that no one has figured it out, and so our goal is to just try to be a little bit better than the next-door neighbor, Like we're just trying to outperform the other parents that are closest to us. And so we basically function like scientists, hypothesizing, experimenting, observing, hoping to improve on our outcomes so that our kids perform better than the kids down the street. The last approach, though, is is what Barna calls revolutionary parenting. Revolutionary parenting doesn't look to the trends. It doesn't look to the traditions of culture but it actually looks to the principles and the values and the instructions of the word of God and then attempts, and I say attempts because it's an attempt, (laughs) 
attempts to carry those things out faithfully. The most important thing for a revolutionary parent is not their own happiness, not their own comfort. It's not just the performance of the kid. It's actually the child's soul. It it really wants to develop these kids so that they function well in the world, that they thrive throughout the rest of their life, that they actually know God and love God and relate to him and so that they can know him and love him and relate to him for all eternity. Revolutionary parents don't just want their kids to get good grades and good jobs. They want their kids to experience and enjoy God forever. They don't just want their kids to to perform. They want their kids to thrive for all eternity. And our passages today, Paul is the author of both. As we saw last week, they're similar letters. They're laying out this household code. Paul lays out for us what revolutionary parenting looks like. He's the one who gives us these principles. And there are three main instructions that he gives us to help us in this process. This is what I want to unpack. And unpack. And, and again, if you're not in this situation right now, don't, don't tune me out, okay? Write it down. Pull it out later. But... I want to show you the Heavenly Father today more than anything. So this is for all of us. So don't zone out. Now let me just say, before we look at these instructions, and I need to say this because this, this is a, a, a caveat that is just so vital, at least for me. Following these instructions in no way guarantees the salvation of our kids. And also, this needs to be said, failing to follow these instructions in no way guarantees the destruction of our kids either. Perfect parents can't save kids and bad parents can't doom their kids either. And that's good news. And I really want you to believe that if you're in it right now. God is the one who saves. God is the one who transforms. He's the one who redeems and he's the one who restores. And so your home might be an ash heap right now, but God is in the business of making beauty out of ashes. You might have come from an ash heap. God is the one who restores. He's the one who redeems. He's the one who transforms, not people. So there's hope for us. There are going to be times when you're a parent, you are so exhausted. You just You're like, listen, I know what the revolutionary parenting thing looks like, but I I just got to sit you in front of Netflix. I'm going to go sit on the toilet for 15 minutes and hide. Like there will be those times. There there are going to be times when you are so frustrated and so angry that you feel and say things that you regret. We're going to look at this like in a minute. When I say a minute, like an hour, just joking. I'm not joking. Um, Uh, there's literally a passage in Deuteronomy that says dads don't kill your kids and kids don't kill your dads. That's a command in the Bible. And do you know why that's a command in the Bible? Because you want to kill each other sometimes, okay? It's so frustrating sometimes. Man, there are going to be times when you are more interested in what's on your phone than you are on that like eternal soul being like, daddy, 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 look at this. What? Look at what? Ah! (sighs) Thank you. You get frustrated. What I want you to know, though, is in those moments, God's grace is greater than our imperfection. 
There will be times when you fail. There will be times when you flounder. There will be times when you feel like you are doing nothing but messing up your kids. God's grace is greater than that. Guys, these instructions are the ideal. But when the ideal isn't realized, there's grace. He works through us as parents, and when we fail, he keeps on working in spite of us. So don't be discouraged. You're not in this alone. He's right there beside you. His spirit is working inside of you, and his spirit actually works best in our weakness. His spirit actually works best in our imperfection. So don't be discouraged. Now, with that being said, let's look at the ideal. What are the instructions? Well, first, revolutionary parents lead our children into the joy of obedience. Look uh, back at Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. In other words, kids are commanded to obey their parents, and so I get that we've got four kids in the room right now. So I'm talking to parents today, but kids you listen to, you obey your parents. Don't forget it. Parents who are submitting to the Lordship of Christ are actually going to require obedience. Now, I know that sounds crazy today. Like if you have ever babysitted a kid and gone to a park or maybe you just have cousins or nephews or nieces or whatever, like obedience is not required anymore. I was at the park not too long ago with my kids. There's this girl up there on that little fort thing and her mom's trying everything to get her to come off of the fort and all the other parents are, are literally just sitting watching. Now, I don't know who this woman is. She's a stranger, but there were two moms next to me who did know who this one was and they were gossiping about her. So I learned everything about her in this situation. I was just like eavesdropping here. And uh, evidently her daughter's the bully, the playground bully. And uh, the mom's trying everything. She's, she's trying to bribe this girl. She's probably eight or nine. She's trying to bribe her. The bribe doesn't work. So then she starts threatening her. The threats don't work. And so then she gets a foot on the ladder and she's like, don't make me come up there. Like, I'm coming which is, you hope that's the final threat. You don't have to come up there. Well, the girl didn't buy it. And so the mom's like, all right. She just walks away, walks back to the little pavilion where all of us are sitting and watching. And she's like, I'll try again later. Like, what? This is our culture. It's, it, honestly, guys, I think our culture is saying that it's good and it's normal and it's acceptable it's actually helpful. If you want to be a loving parent and a kind parent and a gentle parent and a good parent, do whatever your kid wants. Don't require obedience from them. To actually require obedience in our culture is revolutionary. It might actually be frowned upon because giving in is almost seen as helpful. Guys, if giving in is seen as helpful, what is not giving in going to be seen as? Oh, you're such a such a jerk, such a mean parent. Paul says, though, if you care about your kid's future, if you want them to flourish in this life, and if you long for them to experience and enjoy God for all eternity, you need to lead them in the joy of obedience. Now, why is there joy in obedience? You might be asking. <laughs> There are two reasons that Paul gives us. First, he says, obey because it's right. And then second, he says, obey because there's a promise 
attached to it. So let's look at these. This is the joy of obedience. Right doesn't mean that it's right in like a holy way or a, a righteous way or a pure way. Right in this context means that it's natural or it's logical or it's just kind of the smart thing to do. Children, obey your parents for this is right means children, obey your parents because they know more than you. It's just gonna be the smart thing to do to, to, to follow their lead. This basically is the law of nature. Parents have been around longer than you have kids. So they know things about the world that you haven't learned yet. So when they say, don't touch the stove, it's not because they're mean. It's because they know something about that stove that you don't know. When I tell my kids about, about sugar, I mean, we're, we always, we're always talking about like proteins and carbs and all this kind of stuff because like I, I, I was all into that in college and sports and everything. And so I was like, you gotta have your protein. You gotta have your carbs and all that. So they know all this stuff better than I do at this point. And I tell them, you cannot have sugar right before bed. You can't have donuts right before bed. That seems mean, but it's because I know something about sleep and about sugar that they can't even begin to comprehend. I know that donuts taste good, just like they know, but I'm not trying to deprive them of a good thing. I actually want them to have the good thing, which is sleep. And if they sleep, they'll wake up in the morning and thrive. And we will too, as their parents. When I tell them that they can't watch TV whenever they want, and they need to go outside and play and be bored, this is one of their favorite questions. Hey, Dad, what are we going to do today? I figure it out. <laughs> well, what are we going to do now? We do something fun. What are we going to do now? I, I don't know. Use your imagination. Oh, man. I tell them to go outside and play. I know something about their brains, though. I know something about their mental development and their physical development that they have no idea about. All they know is that every episode of Shaun the Sheep is on Netflix, and all they have to do is click a button, and it's just going to play, and it's just going to go and there will be no commercials, and they will just be able to go through. That's all they know. And dads tell them to go play in the dirt. <laughs> Guys, it doesn't matter how far along our kids are in their process. They need to respect and obey us as their authority because we know something about the world that they don't know. It's right. And so kids who obey reap the benefits of submitting to parental wisdom and authority. And that leads to the promise. When kids obey their parents, they thrive. Things go well with them in the world. They'll eat healthy. They'll get enough rest. They'll develop mentally and physically and emotionally and relationally and even spiritually. And so our job as parents is to show our kids that the call to obey is a call to joy. It's a call to blessing. It's a call to a promise. If you do this, then it will go well for you in the land. That's the promise. Now, that doesn't mean that hardship isn't coming. Doesn't mean pain isn't coming. Doesn't mean suffering isn't coming. Like all of those things are guaranteed for every single one of us. But it does mean that kids who obey their parents will be kept from self-inflicted harm, self-inflicted suffering, the kind of pain that comes from ignorance, the kind of pain and damage that comes from foolishness and heartache that comes from rebellion. They'll be saved from that. It will go well for them in the land. Just think about your own childhood for a minute. I was thinking about mine a lot this past week. How much pain would you have been spared if you had just listened to your parents? 
how much heartache would have been avoided? How much better off would you have been? One of the things that used to drive me absolutely crazy when I was a kid, especially, well, actually not even just a kid, as a teenager, like 14, 15, 16 years old, is that my parents forced me to take piano lessons. Hated piano lessons. They made me do it for seven and a half long and grueling years. It was like the gulag. It was like forced labor in Siberia, you know. I hated the lessons so much. I hated practice so much. I used to argue with my dad. Every Tuesday was when I actually had to get together with my teacher. And the whole way back from school, I would tell him how he was wasting his money. He was a bad steward. He was a bad dad. I was just trying to argue with him about why he should not make me take piano lessons. Probably shouldn't be saying this because Nicholas is taking piano and his teacher's right here. <laughs> this is now just clicking with me. <laughs> Parenting fail. There's grace. Um, now, Nicholas, don't listen to this, okay? Um, my parents had this rule that, that we had to practice for 30 minutes every day. And, and if we didn't get the 30 minutes, like on a Monday, it just got tacked on to Saturday. And so Saturday was like hours and hours and hours of... <laughs> Uh, practice, piano practice. Um, and so I, uh, I got into this habit of not practicing. And so Saturday would come and I'd have to do all of these hours of practice. And so I developed a strategy and it was called fake practice. And um, this was so dumb. I mean, it really was dumb. Um, but like my mom would go grocery shopping and my dad would be working on his stuff. And so I'd go to the microwave where the timer was and I would just subtract like an hour off of the timer as if they would not notice this. And I'd be like, they'd ask if I practiced. Like, yep, I practiced. And this was fake practice. And, and I really didn't do a good job. Then winter came and we had our winter recital. And my song was Moonlight Sonata. And I'm 16 years old right now, okay. And, um, and, and it's all of the students that this teacher taught. It's a packed piano gallery, grand piano up on stage. And there's this, um, there's this homeschool family with all, there's like, they got like six girls with hair all the way down to the floor. And, um, and uh, I was homeschooled for a time too. My kids were homeschooled. I'm not making fun of homeschool, but back then you could make fun of homeschool. Okay. Um, and, uh, and these girls were like the greatest piano players in the world. And their dad was a pastor at like the Fundy church, the this really strict church down the street. And my dad was the pastor of the church that they thought was evil. And I'm the 16-year-old rebel who did fake practice. And so they play their masterpieces and it's just beautiful and it's wonderful. And then I get up there and I'm like, oh no. And it hit me and I just started sweating bullets. I mean, I was drenched by the time it was done and I just butchered my way through Moonlight Sonata. And then I sat down and I was like, I'm dead. Like, <laughs> I'm dead. My brother, I have a twin. My brother gets up, plays like two notes. They're both wrong. He looks at the audience and he goes, <laughs> 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 and then he butchers his way through his. This was us at 16. Total failure, total disaster, total humiliation, total embarrassment. And on top of that, to this day, after seven and a half years of piano, all I can play is heart and soul. I thought I knew it was best. I thought I knew it would bring me the most joy. But even as a 16-year-old, I was dead wrong. If I had just obeyed back then, I'd still be reaping the benefits of it today. I could sit down at the piano and play something besides heart and soul. 
See, this is the thing. Just like Adam and Eve, who were our first parents in the garden, our kids are constantly fed a lie that if they want to experience true freedom and true happiness and true fulfillment, that they need to step out from under the authority of their dad and mom. Get away from them because they don't know anything. And if you could do that and get outside of their boundaries, then you'll really thrive. But the problem is as soon as they step outside of that and buy into that lie, rather than finding happiness, rather than finding fulfillment and freedom, they always find disaster and destruction and humiliation and embarrassment and ruin. And they're like, why didn't I just listen? This is what Paul is saying. And so our job as parents is to show our kids that obedience always comes with a promise. Blessing is always on the other side of obedience. I need to hear that today, by the way, because I still struggle with obeying my heavenly father. Blessing is always on the other side of obedience. This is where it gets really weighty and really important. Because if we teach our kids um, I'm sorry, what we teach our kids about obedience as it relates to us is what they're going to see about obedience as it relates to God. This is so important. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord as you obey God. So if it's optional for them to obey us, if we give them a bunch of arbitrary, just weird, strict rules that make no difference whatsoever, that have their good, don't have their good in mind and And then if they don't obey and we're just like, yeah, whatever, do what you want to do. We're telling them how to relate to God. And so then they they get a little bit older and they read scripture and they open it up and it says something that they don't like. And what's the response going to be? Well, I'm king. I've been ruling this thing since day one. My parents would tell me to do something and if I didn't like it, I'd just throw a tantrum and I'd argue or I'd complain and then eventually they'd acquiesce. So I guess that's what I do with God too. I'm gonna just cut out the stuff I don't like out of the Bible. I'm gonna do whatever I want. We're showing them how to relate to God. When we acquiesce to our kids, when we let them get away with disobedience, we might actually be maintaining a sense of peace in the house, but we are creating barriers between them and God. Because God is on the throne. And if you want to thrive and flourish in this life, you've got to take yourself off of it and give him his rightful place. And so we show them that as kids. Here's the thing, though. If we, if we do that, if we demand obedience, if we require obedience, if we stand firm on our yeses and stand firm on our noes, but our rules are arbitrary and they're self-centered, and they're all about us and what we want, we're, we're doing the same thing. We're not, we're not drawing them to God. Did you know that God has never given a rule to any one of his kids that was not meant for our good? Did you know that God never made up a rule because he just wanted some alone time? God never made up a rule because he was just sick of you or he just wanted you to be miserable or he wanted to ruin your fun Take away your joy. Every single rule that God has ever given you as one of his kids is for your good. And so if we parents just create rules that are intended for us and not them, we're telling them something about the father that isn't true. 
So we require obedience, but we create rules that are for them and not for us. Guys, that's hard work. We're gonna get to the gospel in a minute, don't worry, because that's the hope. So guys, I mean, just practically, one of the things that, that we do in our home is we, we go to scripture and we show the joy of obedience in all these people's lives. So we'll go to a guy like Noah and, and God tells Noah, build a boat. You don't know what rain is. You've never seen a flood in your life. You don't know what a boat is, but build the biggest one in the history of the world. Noah just obeys. Blessing is on the other side of obedience. He's saved. His family is saved. And then we go to a guy like Abraham. God's like, Abraham, pack up all your stuff, pack up your family, and I just want you to move. Start walking. He doesn't tell him where he's going. He doesn't tell him why he's going. He doesn't tell him how he's going to get there. He just says, start walking. And Abraham obeys. And what follows his obedience? Blessing. Joy. Flourishing. Go to a guy like Moses. God tells this guy, Moses, deliver my people from Egypt, even though you can't talk, even though you're a murderer, even though they want you dead. But he obeys. And when he obeys, he leads his people into the promise. Blessing always comes as a result of obedience. Joshua, they're trying to take over Canaan. God's like, walk around that city seven times, blow some trumpets, see what happens. Joshua obeys. Blessings on the other side of obedience. Daniel obeys God rather than the king of Babylon. He doesn't stop praying. Blessing follows obedience. Every single one of them obeyed the Lord in spite of their own objections. Every single one of them obeyed the Lord in spite of their own desires. Every single one of them obeyed the Lord even when it didn't make sense in the moment. And the other side of that obedience was blessing. Guys, some of you right now, this has nothing to do with parents and kids. Some of you right now are struggling to obey God because you can't see how it leads to your good. It doesn't make sense. I promise you though, the other side of obedience is the reward. You won't know the reward. It won't make sense until you actually obey. So as parents, we're trying to show the joy of obedience. Do you know who the greatest example of this is of all time? It's Jesus. It's Jesus submitting to the will of his father. We don't just show him all these men in the Old Testament. We want to show our kids the man the son of God who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do it? Because of the joy that he knew was on the other side. Look at this text in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which are all the men I just talked about, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus obeyed because it was right, and Jesus obeyed because joy was on the other side of obedience. And that's what we need to show our kids. 
Revolutionary parents have to lead their kids in the joy of obedience. Second, revolutionary parents guide our children with the aroma of grace. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Colossians 3, 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. That word for fathers is actually a word in the Greek that's used to refer to both parents. So Paul isn't just talking about dads here. His main concern, though, is that we won't provoke our kids to anger, which is another way of saying we won't exasperate them. We won't discourage them. We won't stir up resentment in them. In other words, if we want them to thrive and flourish in this life, if ultimately we want them to experience and enjoy God both now and for all eternity, we need to build them up with grace. I'll be honest with you. This one, for me, is way harder than the first one. I'm good at leading my kids in the joy of obedience because that's natural for me because I struggled so much with obeying my parents. I just want obedience to make sense to my kids. This one is hard for me. Again, I mentioned Deuteronomy 24, 16. Fathers don't put to death your kids. Kids don't put to death your parents. There's something about living closely with each other and relating constantly with each other that can bring out the worst in us. And here's the thing. We haven't been called to do what's natural. We haven't been called to do what's normal and acceptable. And I, and I think that a lot of times you just kind of justify like being harsh as parents. Like, well, my, my, my kids just frustrated me. Like all they do is follow me around all day and mess up what I just cleaned up or do exactly what I told them not to do and on and on and on. It's just, it's just it's frustrating. I'm allowed to be a little harsh. We haven't been called to do what's natural. We've been called to be like Christ, which means we've been called to love our kids and lead our kids by doing the hard work of showering them with grace. Guys, harsh parents stir up anger. Harsh parents stir up resentment, but gentle parents stir up comfort and peace. Severe parents tear down, but gracious parents build up. So God says, listen, if you want your kids to know me and if you want your kids to relate to me and love me, you need to show them tenderness and gentleness and grace because that's the kind of dad I am. My dad was so good at this, by the way. Um, I remember when I was 16, both of my stories are from 16. This is weird. I just realized this. I, I, uh, I was um, not a believer I was 16, I was playing in this soccer game and uh, we were playing in the playoffs and it was a big game. We were the heavy favorites and um, my twin was the striker and he wasn't scoring any goals so I was very mad at him and I played center, center back and, and goalie sometimes and this, this team had one shot the entire game in the second half and it was a fluke and it was a goal and so I turned around and I punched the goal post in frustration and anger which is the dumbest thing in the world. Um, broke my hand instantly. Uh, Everyone was at this game. My grandparents had driven down from Virginia. We had neighbors there, all my friends from church. I mean, just packed bleachers. And I, I just turn around and I think I'm going to hurt that goalpost. And I break my hand. Immediately, I'm like, I'm dead. It was piano recital all over again. <laughs> I'm a dead man. <laughs> Why did I do that? After the game, I went up to my dad. 
Asked him if he saw it. He said, yeah. Uh, and I'm like, again, just like a dead man. And I'm like, well, look at it. <laughs> and it was swollen. And, you know, you couldn't, the bone wasn't sticking out of my flesh, but it was sticking out. I mean, it was like way out here, you know. And I still can't move my pinky because the doctor didn't tell me how to do therapy and stuff. It's okay. Um, I expected my dad to be really mad at me. I mean, a lot of people from his church were there. I would expect him to be very embarrassed and very ashamed of his 16-year-old son who just acted a fool on the soccer field. I expected him to come down on me. I expected him to scold me, discipline me. I was shocked when he didn't do any of that. Like, absolutely shocked. Because I got spanked almost every day during my childhood. I was shocked. Even when we were at the doctor and they were putting this cast on it and not telling me how to fix it with therapy. Um, he's paying the money to get it fixed. He never shamed me a single time. He never made fun of me. He never told me I was stupid. Never made me feel bad. He quietly and gently and patiently walked alongside me. It blew me away. Guys, in that moment, do you know what he was doing? He was showing me what he's like, my father in heaven. He was treating me like that. Gracious, tender, patient, gentle, abounding in mercy, never coming to us and lording our sin over us and saying, I told you so. We're saying, how could you be such an idiot? Why would you do such a stupid thing? No. He's like the father and the prodigal son. He runs to us. He embraces us. He pulls us in and he cleans us up. What if we parented our kids like that? Man, that's, that's revolutionary parenting. That's what I want to grow in. Third, finally, revolutionary parents saturate their children with the word of God. Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word, that phrase, bring up, literally means to nourish or to feed. Feed your kids, nourish your kids with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love that. In the same way that our kids need food, physical food, they also need spiritual food. They need nourishment. I think we get the fact that we got to feed our kids. We got to give them water and stuff, you know, on a daily basis. I make them breakfast. Ten minutes later, they're like, where's my snack? They're bottomless pits, constantly hungry, constant need of nourishment. I think we all get that. But I think what we miss a lot more often than not is the fact that they aren't just physical creatures, that they're spiritual creatures at their core. And yes, they have extrinsic needs like food and water and sleep and clothes, but they have intrinsic needs too, like purpose and community and love and freedom and glory and joy. And if they don't have those things, they will not function or thrive or flourish in this life. And so as I nourish them with clothing and with food and with water and with a soft bed and a pillow and all that kind of stuff. I need to nourish them with those things. Well, how do they get those needs met? Guys, the only way any of us get any of those intrinsic needs met is by God himself. We were created for God by God. And so if we try to satisfy these needs with anything but him, 
We're just dogs chasing our tails. And so building up our kids, nourishing our kids with the discipline and instruction of the Lord means every time we get a chance, we're trying to show them how he and he alone can satisfy the longings of their souls. That's what it means. We're showing them the beauty of Christ every chance we get. Every chance we get, we're taking them back to Scripture, stirring up their imaginations with the glory and goodness of God and his power and his might. For example, my, my son loves superheroes. He's really into like Hulk and Spider-Man and all that kind of stuff. And we'll draw all these things together. And superheroes are, are strong and they're powerful and they're fast. And that's an opportunity for me. Because he's like, who's stronger, Hulk or Spider-Man? And, and I'm like, well, it's definitely Hulk. But do you know who's even stronger than Hulk? Who? That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this is conditioning, right? If it's, a, if it's a rainy day, well, they know I love rain because I, I want my grass to grow. Um, but um, if it's a rainy day, that's an opportunity for me to talk about the one who creates the rain for our good, even if the game gets canceled or whatever. Oh, he's good, and that's a gift. Oh, I mean, we're just talking about it. We're driving in the car. We're listening to music. So, so Nicholas and I, um, he likes 21 Pilots, and so we listen to 21 Pilots. I'm always trying to show him, like, the stuff that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit edgier. It's okay. It, don't, it's okay. I'm not showing him any screaming stuff yet. Um, <laughs> But uh, he likes 21 Pilots, and, and, and so we'll listen to this song, Heavy Dirty Soul, and we're, we're, we're singing this song, and I'll just pause. I'm like, do you know what they just said? And he's like, no, just jamming out. I have no idea what they just said. He just said, can you save my heavy, dirty soul? What do you think that means? He's like, I don't know. And then we have a conversation about it, and then we turn the music back on, and we're, and we're, we're jamming out again. Guys, it does not have to be an organized time around the fire. I've tried this. It does not work, <laughs> okay? Maybe it does for some of you. I've tried to sit my kids down on the couch, and then I sit on the brown lazy boy chair. My, my man chair is awesome. It's huge. And, and some of this is on film. I, Caroline has actually filmed some of this, and I try to do the family Devo, and it is utter failure. I mean, they are not listening to a word I'm saying. Nicholas is, like, on his back, like, feet in the air, like, on the, on the painting, on the wall, and, and Liv's just zoned out, like playing with her dolls, and, and I'm getting frustrated, and it doesn't work for me. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be scheduled. It doesn't have to be formal, but you know what it has to be? Constant. Just constant. It needs to be the environment that we live in. It's like fish in water. We just live in an environment where God saturates everything. He's always on the on the front of our minds. He's always on the tip of our tongues and everything is an opportunity to talk about him and how he's the one who satisfies, how he's the most beautiful person in the whole world, the most glorious, the most powerful, the most wonderful and everything in life is pointing to him. It's constant. We don't even try the formal stuff anymore, guys. Maybe when they're older. Let me just encourage you to saturate your kids with the word. If you want your kids to thrive, if you want them to know and love God, direct your attention to him. Show them that he is good. That's revolutionary parenting. It's the joy of obedience. Lead them in that. 
It's the aroma of grace. Show them what their father's like. And it's saturation of the word. Now, we're going to close, but I want to close with, with one thought because we've got to bring it back to the gospel because this is too hard. Right? I mean, the big question that every single one of you probably are asking right now is, how in the world are we supposed to parent like this? How are we supposed to shift from normal Netflix, iPad parenting to revolutionary? This is what God is like parenting. That's really hard. I just want to give you one thought and then we'll close. The only way that we'll be able to parent like this is if we experience a parent like this. And so if you want to grow as a father, you need to grow in your relationship with the father. There's an old saying that says something about how we're our parents. We all end up becoming just like our parents, even if we don't want to. One of my favorite songwriters said, we're our parents, but we just don't know it yet. I am so much like my dad in so many ways. Sometimes Caroline thinks I'm, I'm him, like, because my voice has started to sound like him, and my sister's here, and she's just laughing. I've started to mimic his, his little weird stuff. Like, after a big meal, I'll lean back in my chair, and I'll rub this thing, and I'm like, oh, well, that was good. And then dinner's over. <laughs> I, I, I just got that from him. I, I would have never thought I'd be like mimicking my dad. I laugh like him. I think like him. I sound like him. I'm becoming more and more like my dad every day. And, and for me, that's a good thing. Some of you guys don't have great dads. And, and this is what I want you to see. Whether you have a good dad or you have a bad dad, if you're in Christ, you have been adopted into his family and you have a new dad. You have a perfect heavenly father. You have a father who is not domineering, who's not irritable, who's not impatient, who's not distracted. You have a new father who is slow to anger. You have a new father who is rich in kindness and who is abounding in grace. He takes time to listen to every single one of your complaints and walk with you through every single one of your mistakes. And he never gets tired of you. As we receive his love as his kids, as we grow deeper in an experience of his grace and his kindness and his compassion and his mercy, do you know what happens? We'll be able to give it to our kids. That's the only way, though. He sets the example. He shows us the way. We witness his love. We receive his love. And then we give it away. So, parents, if you're struggling with your kids, it probably means that you need to go back to your father. If you're struggling to lead your kids in the joy of obedience, it's probably because you haven't experienced the joy of obedience. If you're struggling to saturate your home with the aroma of grace, it's probably because you don't understand the grace that he's given you. And if you're struggling to saturate your home with the word, maybe you need to start picking it up yourself. Morning by morning, evening by evening. Let's go deeper in our experience of him.
Let it define the way we love and lead our children. Amen.